All right, everyone, welcome into the Moneyline podcast this week. And I am going to release the NFL Picks podcast. It's probably already up on your feed. So if that's what you're looking for, you can go ahead and click on that. But for this special episode, we're going to have George Deemer, an economics professor from Temple University out in Philadelphia, who, like myself, and I'm sure like you, enjoys uh, placing the occasional wave, uh, wager on a NBA, NFL, college football game, etc., so, George, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Thank you for having me on, Gabe. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'm going to give Russell the shout out here. I, you know, I talked some crap about Russell on the show, all in good mm-hmm. fun. But Russell was the one with the with the connection, and he told me a little bit about you, George. And he uh, and he was like, "Would would you want to consider having him on a podcast?" I was like, "Oh, if he wants to do it, absolutely. This is this is right up my alley." So I am thrilled. I'm thrilled <laughs> to be doing this. I got a big smile on my face right now. Any chance to talk about the gambling market, I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, so we were talking a little bit here before the show, and you, the first thing, you said uh, your dissertation in college when you were in for your, for your master's degree in economics, uh, you, it, what, you wrote it on the gambling, on sports gambling. Yeah, that was my, uh, so it was for my PhD, so for my doctorate, um, you know, I started worrying about economics and doing general economic stuff. And then it gets to the point where you get to kind of start thinking about a specialty. And um, I didn't even realize that I would be able to pivot towards that. But it turns out that I was. So, um, yeah, there was um, sports economics in a general way, really, I gravitated towards. And then more specifically, when I realized that I could start looking at the gambling market and start thinking about how financial markets operate and trying to translate a lot of the stuff that I kind of had an intuition about because I liked gambling as much as I did. Um, and so, you know, I kind of tried to merge the two, and that was, a, that was a significant chunk of my dissertation. So give me and the audience like a little bit of uh, what's one way the gambling market and the financial market, what's, like, what's one way they like integrate, and just, you know, like something that's what? tangible, I guess. Um, you know, as far as like the, the way that it's structured, it's structured very closely to a financial market. Um, there's a price for a commodity. That's the point spread. Um, the commodity is who's going to win the game. And a lot of ways, the shortcomings in research in financial markets have a lot to do with, well, I want to buy oil, this commodity today. And, you know, I think the price is going to go up in the future. And that's why I want to buy it today or something like that. But then you never, never quite know when to sell it, right? So there's this, this odd thing when you look at the research for finance that it's kind of difficult to figure out when to sell the commodity. And one of the nice things, and they have all these theories, right? All these hypotheses that are floating around uh-huh. out there. And here in the gambling market, we don't have that problem. We have these theories. We have these hypotheses. Hey, what if we try gambling on the home dogs or something like that? And these strategies systematically mm-hmm. over time, what's going to happen? But the beauty in the gambling market is that there is a clear end date. You know, as soon as the game's done, it's over. We refresh. We start all over again. And so um, it's a it's much easier to just come up with a strategy, and then to take a look at like if you have a strategy that works, what does that mean? Is what does it mean as time goes by? It's a little bit easier to kind of unpack all of that. Yeah. So it's uh, I I I agree with the. Um... Or I, I like what you I like what you're saying about the commodities, likening the teams or even the players, kind of like to 
to an asset is the way I like to is a terminology yep. I use. I liken it to an a- asset. So I want to ask you this question. This we didn't talk about this before, but there's always a. I think coming into the year, there's always teams that are overvalued and undervalued. Um, and coming into this year, and obviously it's proven out because of injuries and other stuff, so it's a little different now. But coming into the year, I thought the Dallas Cowboys were the most overrated commodity on the gambling market. And I think they consistently are because of the size and, yeah. the, you know, and how passionate their fan base is. In this year and in previous years, do you see that a lot? Or if not Dallas, are there teams that you see consistently that are overvalued by the gambling market? I think that the teams that generally get a lot of hype, um, the market tends to make them a little bit costlier to take. And so there's some value in going against them. Uh, That, you know, that's like a common gambling strategy where you're trying to follow the sharps, the people that really know, like the sharp money, where's the sharp money going? And um, usually it goes against whatever, you know, is um, popular, so to speak. And certainly the Cowboys are popular. So that certainly speaks to that. One, one of the interesting things that I remember reading an article um, a year or two ago was, was really trying to flush that out, where they took, mm-hmm. like, Twitter hashtags. Mm-hmm. Oh, game, wow. Yeah, for each game. And they said, look. There's going to be a lot of people that bet on the wrong side and a few really sharp people that bet on the correct side, right? That's kind of like a lot of the way these markets operate a lot of times. And you, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You just have to be, you just have to know where to look for the smartest person in the room, right? Uh-huh. And so that's kind of true here where this article said, look, if we can take Twitter hashtags and say, well, the Cowboys have so much more than the Eagles that, that they're playing this week, hypothetically speaking, um, then the hypothesis is that all of the general money's going on the Cowboys and all the sharp money's going on the Philly to balance it out. Let's try a gambling strategy where we always follow the sharp money. And it actually came out, it was one of the rare times when it came out with a winning strategy that, that beat the spread, that beat this um, yeah. juice and the commission that you have to pay, the VIG, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So let, so let me ask you, what's your uh, – because obviously you're not going to hit any bet regardless of what strategy or model or anything that you use. For me, my number is about 60%. Uh, what's your number that, that's your target goal? I mean, obviously 100 is the target, but, you yeah. know, that's not going to happen. So what's um, your target? If you hit X amount, you're successful. What's that number for you? Uh, I don't have a number. Um, I try to keep it fluid. I don't – I'm first of all, I'm married, so I'm not allowed to – gamble (laughs) i don't actually have money we have money and (laughs) so she has me on a tight leash because barbara is uh my wife and she she saw me when i was uh an undergraduate and a graduate student when i um you know i had a direct direct line to my bookie so she, uh, she very quickly took the finances away. But, you know, I play a little bit here and there because I think it helps me understand the market. And that's what my expertise is in after all. Um, but, you know, so I don't track it in a systematic way anymore. I used to. But 60% is a fantastic number. If you're doing 60%, if you do 60% with the same amount of money, then you're basically making over a 250% rate of return on an NFL season, which is just an absolutely ludicrous number. The professional gamblers that I've seen, that I've spoken to, or that I've read about, I mean, they're hitting at, they're aiming for like a model that comes out with like 58% or so. Okay. If they can get to 58%, 
then they feel like there's some other games that they can take into consideration that because a model can only take so much into consideration. So you can right. always kind of build upon that if you understand how the model is structured. Um, so I would probably, if I had to, if I had a target, I would probably say about 58%. And okay. then from, for, for a model, from a systematic unbiased model, that is. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a, when I, I like round numbers. So I say 60, I hear the 57, 58% a lot, you know, the more I deep dive my best season, personally, uh, betting NFL, there was one year I hit 62% and I had, it was just an absurd hot streak and I'll never get on again. Um, and yeah. yeah, I think any, any gambler who's gambled for, you know, a period of time has just had one of those or you've had a hot streak, you had a cold streak. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, yeah, that that about sixty percent, you know, sixty percent is my target number. You know, if you hit fifty eight or fifty nine, that's awesome. You, at the end of the day, you want to make money. That's what you want to. Uh, that's what that's what you want to do. Uh, so if yeah. you're doing that, you're coming, you're com- you're coming out okay. So yeah, fifty two point four percent. That's the critical threshold. Yeah. So it hasn't been my best year gambling this year, but I'm above that number. I'm hit, I'm I'm at about 55 right now. So that's good. It's, that's very good. That's good. It's been it's been a weird year. It's been I gotta tell you, George, it's been a weird year because I've had usually I'm pretty consistent. You know, I bet like publicly like picks I put out. I'll put out five picks in a weekend. Yeah. And um, you know, but, so the goal obviously is hit three out of five. You know, that's yep. the just make it simple. Um, and I've had weeks this year. I've had multiple one and four weeks. I've had three five and zero oh weeks. I've had usually I have a lot of three and twos or two and threes. Right. But this year it's just been all over the map. So with that, I just think like, man, this year has been so weird for me. So I want to ask you, like, have there been any ir- irregularities that you have seen in this year that have just made it different from previous years? Yeah, and my background is in economics. So in economics, we see models all the time. That's basically what we do. We test hypotheses and we test models. And we have a way of thinking about things that's kind of unusual. You know, you take a look at an economy and there are certain shocks that are introduced into the economy. And then the economy has to like sort itself out for a time period. And, um, you know, maybe there's an oil shock or maybe there's a coronavirus or whatever is going on. You have this thing that's moving around and then bang, something knocks into it. And this is like a lot like that. That's the way I see it, where we have the like in this case with the NFL and the home home field advantage has really been taken away due to the coronavirus. Um, I want to say it's taken away, but it's been shocked and nobody's quite sure what that shock looks like. I know the initial reaction was, holy cow, looks like home field. And in the NBA, home court advantage is, is gone. And um, it can't just be gone. It has to be there. So, you know, in time, we'll, we'll look back on this and we'll see, well, maybe it's diminished from 2.6 points on average to 0.3 points on average or something like that. But I, that's the most significant thing that's going on this year. Probably the initial shock of no nobody in the stands. And um, everything else that's going on with the coronavirus shock, I, I think of it in my head. Um, mm-hmm. And probably that has the most to do with, um, again, with home, home field advantage. I'm sure there's going to be there's got to be something to the fact that the games sometimes are pushed back and short rest and things like that. But um, that might be an element as well. But I, I think that sample size is going to be too small to really come up with anything significant. 
Yeah, so I uh, coming into the year without the crowd noise, I really disregarded home field advantage altogether. And I was, you know, I realized I'm probably extreme in that, you know, in that viewpoint. But I thought, hey, look, you know, and I and you were seeing it early in the season where quarterbacks, you know, in road games, you know, but there's no fans, so it does ultimately doesn't matter. They're able to do, they're able to get the defense to jump off sides or use their cadence and do th- just little things within the game yeah. that when they were on the road previously, like, you know, if you're playing, I saw Aaron Rodgers do that in New Orleans early this season, you know, if they played in front of a packed house in a Superdome, there's no way Aaron Rodgers hit the chance to do that. But now he's mm-hmm. getting the chance to do that. And those little things, th- those are the little things that get baked into, you use 2.6, uh, three is kind of the round number that everybody uses for mm-hmm. a home field advantage. Now, if you have a really good home field, like a Seattle or Kansas City or New Orleans, maybe you're trending more closer to four. Or if you're Jacksonville, where there's not a ton of, you know, enthusiasm yep. there, it might be, you know, closer to two or one and a half. Yep. But so that I, 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 I not, so I just didn't think home field mattered much this year. I took that completely out of the equation. And that, we're getting to a point now in the season. The only time I really take it in under consideration is uh, if there's weather involved or if it's a dome team or a warm weather team traveling yeah. to a Buffalo or a Chicago or something like that. Or one of my favorite bets of the year actually was a couple of weeks ago when Arizona went up to New England. I love New England in that game. Arizona being a young dome team that wants to throw the ball a lot going into a place that doesn't, you know, is not known for having great weather. Yep. So that's the that's the one time I've taken home field under consideration this year, and I'm probably a little. There's probably is there probably is some kind of difference that home field has given uh, that has done this year that I'm not giving it credit for, but that's just been my individual uh, view. That's been my individual viewpoint on this. So I wanna I wanna ask you this. As, uh, well, right before you get to that, it, it, okay. I'm just gonna float out there. It's, it's kind of interesting because you're bringing up this this project that I do for my classes a lot of times where we have this model that we build in my in my sports analytics class where we try to figure out like we have all the information going back to point spreads of like 1960s or so and we say all right like we we basically to make a long story short we get to the point where any ideas like you just tossed out there we uh-huh. try it in a completely unbiased systematic way like identify every single dome team and every time they traveled away, like there's a way to kind of that we kind of play around with that. And it's surprisingly difficult to come up with a systematic way of winning, even with that, all that information. Right. No, I mean, it's uh, ultimately these are humans on the field and humans are unpredictable. Right. You know, that's, and, that's, and, that's, we're, that's... and we're all biased. Um, that's the key. Like everybody's biased. I'm biased. You're biased. So the numbers that we have, you know, we remember emotionally the, the, the times that we win. And I still think of so many games that I was on the winning side of, and then you just want to forget about the bad ones, you know? So right. <laughs> we create this bias in our mind. And it, and a lot of times, if you want to be a, like, in my opinion, for whatever that's worth, like the, the, the key to being like a systematic good gambler over a longer period of time is to figure out where your bias exists and then try to get rid of it as best you can. Yeah. So let me tell you one of my biases now uh, coming into the year. You, you actually opened up something else that this is a great thing to talk about here. Okay. And you're from Philadelphia. So you can, uh, you can, yep. you should be able to speak to this very well. I love Carson Wentz. Yeah. Um, 2017, what, you know, watching him, I, I, you know, he was, 
that that Patrick Mahomes talent level that year. You know, he was amazing. He was incredible. You know, at the end of last season, what he did with, you know, virtually me and you playing wide receiver for the Eagles, yeah. uh, carrying them the four straight wins. I thought Carson Wentz was one of the top six quarterbacks in the NFL coming into the year. Obviously, this season he hasn't been. Yeah. And I know I have this bias. And it took me until about three weeks ago for me just to kind of say out loud, the Eagles are just a bad football team. Yeah. Uh, this, they're they're, they're they're, they're, they're just a bad football team, and maybe it gets fixed at the end of the year. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, who knows what happens. Yeah. But uh, how long did it take for you and for the market kind of as a whole to – I guess those are two different questions. But how long did it take – well, I say for you to realize just with the Eagles – because I thought the Eagles would win the division, win 10, 11 games, you know, be a solid playoff contender this year with reasonable yeah. health. Um, and now they're, you know, on their way to a top five pick. And for me, it wasn't until two weeks ago where I just finally said out loud, the Eagles are a bad football team. How long did it take for you to realize that when this was a, when it just, this is a sinking ship? Well, uh, I'm a big Eagles fan. Um, my, all my friends and family, not only do I, am I currently living in Philadelphia, I've always been in the area in South Jersey and Philadelphia area. And um, so I love the Eagles. So what I'm saying is that I'm biased. I'm 100% biased. I know I'm biased, which is why I won't, won't bet on an Eagles game, unless it's like mm-hmm. they're in the playoffs or in their Super Bowl or something like that. Then, you know, um, maybe I'll play around a little bit just because of the emotion. I'll ride it. Um, but I try to stay away from it because I, um, I'm a I'm a typical fan, a Philly fan. Philly fans are, you know, quite fanatic and take things very seriously. So I was probably like most Philly fans were pretty early on we saw there were some pretty significant problems with the team. We just kept hoping the next week it was going to, that we were wrong. And unfortunately I don't feel like we were, <laughs> but we're by, I'm biased. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. So I, I just remember saying to my classes, boy, what, what's going on with them? And they, they, I remember my students just saying they're an absolute mess. Um, so I don't know. It took me, and I guess the answer to your question is yeah. I kind of got the feel pretty quickly that the team was yes. not going to be very successful yes. early on, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, if you're, I think there's a difference if, you, if you're a fan of a team versus having a bias. And this is yeah. something that's very interesting. Cause I think if you're a fan, but you're able to look at your team, you know, rationally, if you're not, if you're able to not wear goggles when you're looking at the team and see them yeah. for what they are, it can be very effective gambling on them. Yeah. Because you, you, you know, the team, very very well and the odds makers they are very very good at what they do but they watch every team you if you're a fan you're watching your team every week you know if you're a let's say you're a seattle seahawks fan they're playing the rams this week who have aaron donald and you're like oh crap we're missing you know our both our starting guards this week they're both out with injury we have two rookie backups in there you know oh that's a really bad matchup and that's you know, you can, you know, that's, you know, little things that you can see that make you effective betting on your team versus if, but if you're just the, you know, the, oh, we're going to the Super Bowl, we're the best team in the league, I, right. then don't, you know, if that's how you look at it, then don't bet on your, don't bet on your NFL right. team. It could be, uh, it could be right. But like a bias comes in a lot of ways. It could be in the fact that like um, you're a fan and you're passionate and you want them to win. And that's the obvious one that you can think of a bias. But a bias, you know, everybody's biased to every walk of life that they do. They they walk a path in this life, and the things that they observe is what they're basing the world around. 
And that creates a bias because you're not seeing everything. You're just seeing the path that you're walking mm-hmm. down. And so you're seeing those matchups maybe that highlight your example, and maybe you're really making it more about it than everybody else is. And it doesn't mm-hmm. make you wrong, but it makes you biased, you know, because you might say you know, like you might, maybe that should be discounted a little bit more where if you were kind of separated from the game, so to speak, then you would be able to. So here, here are two biases I have, and these are concrete, and I recognize both of them in the you know in the last couple of years. So th- these are t- these are my only two my only two hard and fast rules in gambling. There are only two. I never bet against Tom Brady or Russell Wilson. <laughs> I never I never bet against those. And I think you know Brady's kind of on a decline now. But I think Russell Wilson and I, Patrick Mahomes is awesome. But I think Russell Wilson's the best quarterback in the league for my money. Um, and I, I, was, I, I had the same rules when I was young, talking about Barry Sanders and Dan Marino. <laughs> so I remember having the same rules back in the day. Um, but, you know, that that's one of the things. When you, like, get immersed in the gambling, like in the numbers and the analytics of it all, like the key is to get the names out of the out of your head mm-hmm. as best you can, you know. Build a model. Yeah. The models that I built don't even have any, the quarterback putting in there. Into those right. Models. Um, because it's really just cold, impersonal type of right. analysis of the marketplace. Yeah, and I don't bet a lot of Seattle games. I've bet some Tampa Bay games this year with mixed results. Um, you know, because they they've just been a mixed results team. Um. But uh, I, I don't bet a lot of Seattle because I know I have this adoration for Russell Wilson that doesn't allow me to see straight yeah. when, when it when it comes to him. But I want to I want to ask you something, and with you know it's a little bit related to Philly, but you you can apply this to a lot of teams throughout the league. Um, as far as like your model goes individually, how do you account for a team improving or declining throughout the year? And the example I want to use is the New York Giants. Because for the last two months, I feel like they've been getting better and better and better at to now the point they're playing. I think they're playing at a legitimate playoff level right now, although the record's only five and seven, um, which will actually put them in the playoffs at the moment. But their record's only five and seven, which tells you they're not, you know, they're not a top half team in the league. But I think they're playing at that level right now. So how as a model, how would you account for that? Because obviously this is not the same Giants team that took the field in week four. Right. Um, so, um, I, I've built a specific model. Um, so that, that it's very difficult to keep up with these models. So I don't keep up with it very often. So I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you like right now what's happening. And I wouldn't even run it this year because of the home field advantage is, is just totally out of whack. But, you know, just from that model, how did I build it? And how did I take this year's information from last year's? Basically I took every single, um, game that the team had and i figured out which which um i had two variables that i used one of them was this year's stats and the other was last year's stats and the stats were basically points per game and points per game allowed Uh you know i had i had um, both teams points per game and points per game allowed information plugged into the model and then i just ran regression analysis to figure out how how much I should wait this year's versus last year's, depending on which week of the of the um, season it was. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I just let the computer figure it out for me. 
Um, and the model spits out something that is consistent with what I would imagine would be the case, which is that as the season progresses, the weight this year's points per game and points per game mm-hmm. allowed more so than last year's, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But I want in a specific, so this, now I'm talking specifically about the Giants here. Uh-huh. Where in, when you look at this year opposed to last year, I'm talking more about, you know, for the Giants weeks one through eight versus weeks now, I guess nine through what are we in, 14 or 15. Um, because this, because I, you know, I watch more NFC East football than any non NFC East fan really should. Right. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I watched Giants early in the year and I thought, you know, I, I, and I said it on the podcast, making my pick, like, this team is terrible. I don't know if they have a single above average player on their team. Well, right. you know, once Saquon got hurt, and it's like they are awful. And I watch them yeah. now and I'm like, man, this is a good, like, they do, they do things really, really well. Um, um, I'll tell you this. I, I, um, personally, I don't have a lot of time on my hands right now to get into each game and each team. And so typically this time of the year when it's finals time, basically, and I'm worried more about, you know, my, the students and grading (laughs) papers and your your job. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, And I'm worried about more of that. Then I get into it in the playoffs. But I'll, so what, what's, what does that mean for me? Well, it means that like as time's gone by and these years have gone by, I've found ways of gathering a lot of information in a very, very tight, clean, neat, efficient way. And so what, mm-hmm. is, what is heck does that mean? That means I don't have to know much about the, the Giants roster or anything like that. But I, I take a look at a few things to try to get my intuition going. And okay. So, what that like? One of the things I'm looking at is like the 538 models, for instance. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar with 538 yeah. websites. So. I'm familiar with 538. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they have the Giants that should be favored by a half a point right now. And, and they're um, a two and a half point dogs last and they're time. Two and I and a half checked, point dogs. It's like take that take those points, you know. Yeah. So. Um, and that's one of my picks. That's actually my favorite pick of the week uh, yeah. for, those, for those who haven't listened to the Moneyline podcast yet. That's my favorite pick of the week is the Giants plus two and a half. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing that I look at, right? Like, let me try to figure out where like an, a relatively unbiased model, which the 538 mm-hmm. one might be considered and um, see how it's playing against the, what, 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 the, what the masses are doing, so to speak. So, right. Um, and I think that probably – would lead me to believe I'm sure that you would uh, it seems like agree with me that probably the Giants are a little bit underrated right now yeah I, they're underrated because of what they put out the first you know six seven games of the year they were so bad yeah. I mean they, they, they were just atrocious but they got better as the year went on and that's where I think if you watch and you're able to take that into account just individually as a gambler and yeah. you know it's different teams every year I think teams that improve during the season and teams that decline during the season, I feel like the market is very slow to correct that in yeah. the, in the numbers. Yeah, you know because you, be because of the percep- yeah because right. of the perception and like the team of Giants are playing this week, the Arizona Cardinals. My yeah. belief is the Arizona Cardinals have been figured out. They were a good story the first half of the season. But Cliff Kingsbury, he's kind, he's starting to get figured out here a little bit. Remember this guy who failed at Texas Tech mm-hmm. um, before failing upwards in the NFL. 
Um, but this team is starting to get figured out a little bit. But the Cardinals were so fun to watch, and they had that great win on a DeAndre Hopkins final play. And yeah. they were so electric that everyone looks at the Cardinals as this good upstart team to be reckoned with. But the reality is, like, yeah, they might just be an average team now. Right. Yep. They. So I think if you can, if you can see that, and that's where something, you know, you it's and I like this because you are. I like the analytics. I use, uh, I'm sure you've heard of it, Football Outsiders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I like using Football Outsiders. What I like to what I like to do, because I watch, you know, virtually every game. I have uh, three TVs, and oftentimes I have my computer and my iPad with me while I'm watching football. I have my, you know, have my eyes on the five different games at a time. Uh-huh. Uh, I've somehow trained myself to intake, you know, to take in all that information. It's great, yeah. <laughs> but, um I like to use football outsiders to say, this is what my eyes are telling me. What, what is, what are the, what, what do your numbers say? What do the analytics say? So I like yeah. using things like DVOA. Yep. You know, cause like my eyes tell me that the New Orleans Saints are playing really, really well right now. And they're doing this and doing that, you know, just using them as an example. What, what do your numbers say? Oh, the Saints are, uh, last time I checked, they were the only team in the league to be top 10 in offense, defense, and special teams. Yeah. You know, so it's like, okay, my eyes aren't lying to me versus, you know, there are some teams like I just, you know, I just didn't buy into that. The numbers are like the Indianapolis Colts would be the team this year mm-hmm. where my eyes tell me they're OK. You know, they're fine. But, you know, that's what my eyes tell me. But the numbers are like this is a top five, top ten team in the league. Right. Uh, so I like I like to figure I like to when I'm betting, what do my eyes see and where do the numbers match that? And that's where I'm going to go bet. Yeah, yep. that's my. You know, I don't have a uh, – I, man, I, I'd love to do something like create a model, but, I, like, I don't, I, I don't have that skill, at least not at this point. So that's kind of my – that's the way That's the way I gamble. That's the best way I yeah. can explain it is I try to find – I try to find where the, my eyes match the numbers, and I'm going to go with that because I'm getting from two, you know, from two sources. And I feel like that also helps take my individual biases out of it because right. then, if I'm getting it from another source, okay, that that now I take now I can trust what my eyes are seeing because I have a yeah. second uh, non-biased source, a fairly non-biased source to back it up. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, so ta- so creating so creating a model, and I, I you know I'm sure creating one individual model, it's different for every thing. But how does the process of just of creating any kind of model? How does that mo- that process go? Are you just trying to gather as much information as possible? and enter it into, I imagine just entering into a computer. Um, how does yeah. that uh, give, like, uh, as best you can, a little synopsis of what that looks like? Okay. Um, I think that probably that's true for a lot of people, that they try to put a lot of things into consideration. Um, I tried to do something a little bit different. I tried to find a simple model that was already out there in the literature, um, some, uh, somebody by the name of Osborne came up with a model that he wrote about in the Journal of Sports Economics. And, uh, you know, I was a graduate student. I saw it and I said, boy, that's fascinating stuff right there. And so I built it and kind of replicated what he did. And that was just points per game and points per game allowed. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And it was the only two things that he had. And uh, he came out with a winning strategy slightly. And it was, it was interesting. So I said, boy, I bet you you know, for this is for, this is like one of the papers that I wrote when I was a graduate student. I said, boy, I wonder if I can like improve upon that just a little bit, not trying to get too ambitious. 
Mm-hmm. And so basically I said, all right, let me build a model trying to think about points per game or points per game allowed for this year and for last year, because he didn't have it for last year. And I'm thinking, well, there's probably a lot of bias in the beginning of the season that can get, that can get eliminated. And all that white noise, as we say, a lot of distractions, we can kind of um, get rid of that if we can just kind of think about what they did last year as well. And um, so then that's how I built a model. And it was, it's just a lot of uh, regression analysis. Um, and basically the punchline is that I tried to predict my own point spread Okay. So based on just points scored and points allowed for both of the teams for mm-hmm. each respective team and each respective game that they were playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to just use that information to come up with a point spread. And then from there, I kind of filtered in and out the games that I wanted to wager on. So if the difference between my point spread was very large with the posted point spread, maybe I include that. If it's really close, then I don't bother. Like we were mm-hmm. just talking about the Giants, the difference between 538 and the posted point spread, you know, that's what, three points? Three, three points. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for that right there, you probably include that in the model. If it's another game, that's a little bit closer. Maybe it's only a half a point difference. Maybe I, I say, well, it's too close. I won't even bother doing that. Right. So then that's that. And that gives you a baseline, you know, and then where do you, so that, that works in theory, but then how do you actually make it work in practice from there? As I understand it, like professional gamblers, what they really like to do is have that baseline where their models telling them to something, they have some sort of confidence interval uh, which tells you how confident you can be in the game. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, they just kind of get a feel for it. So 538, I'm sorry, um, uh, Nate Silver wrote a book, uh, Signal in the Noise, which was a fantastic read. Um, <laughs> and in there, he has a chapter on a professional gambler. And he, the professional gambler in that chapter, he realized that the the totals in the NBA were going up for these games over and over and over again. He couldn't figure out why. And then he realized that the, that the point guard was a free agent. And uh, <laughs> so he wanted to pad his stats, you know, he wanted to get that tempo yeah. going. And so then when he realized that he was like, Oh yeah. So then he started betting the over and he had a lot of success with that. And that makes a lot of sense. Right. But you can't build a model that's going to have that. information. Right. So you right. get like a model to get your baseline and, and your baseline could very well be, football outsiders and those guys are great you know so you get them as your baseline and then from there you move and you deviate from there because you can always take your model into consideration when you're thinking about what to gamble on you know what i mean yeah and you know that say, i'm gonna weight it heavily or i'm gonna weight it a little bit it's up to you okay that all i'll tell you now it, it makes building a what you just the way you described it makes building makes the idea of me building a model plausible because <laughs> I do to some level, I do that every week when I pick, right. I weigh what the numbers say versus what, you know, what my eyes say, right. You know, cause I, I, you know, I want to be able to trust what I see ultimately, but so I want to ask you, cause you say you use uh points per game and points per game allowed. Oh, uh, yeah. how do you feel about uh, a stat? And I've heard, you know, I didn't even know about the stat until I first started gambling. And I heard, you know, just different gambling podcasts and stuff. They used it a lot. So I figured oh, I should know what this is. Net yards per play. 
how, uh, how do you feel? What do you know? How do you feel about that stat and using that? I've never used it. Um, I, think never I, used... I think I've had some students play around with it a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I've never used it personally. I've, I, I remember some students using it, though. Yeah, so that's a – I wouldn't say I use it heavy, heavily, but that's one I – that's when I look at just as a quick, like, you know, if there's a, you know, like it, it, it's like anything else, you know, if there's a huge mismatch, you know, if one team is 10th in net yards per play and the other is 28th and the spread is a point, yeah. then I'm going to be like, huh, you know, that's a, you know, I think, that, def- I think that if I was uh, single and I didn't have my two wonderful daughters that I have, and um, I didn't have the fantastic job that I have that I love so much. I think uh-huh. I, I probably would be thinking the same way that you're thinking. Like, I want to get the most information that I can get. Right. But I don't live in that world. So right. what does that mean for me? For me, that means that I need to find an efficient way to gather information, uh, a lot of information, in a very, very right. light, efficient way. Like, I don't have to, uh, I said this before, I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. I uh-huh. just need to know who the smartest person is and know what they're doing. And that's so awesome. That's what I try to do. I try to figure out where the sharp money's going, where the smart mm-hmm. money's going, and and trying to just follow that, you know, as best I can. And um, it's not going to work all the time. Nothing ever does. Right. But, you know, if that, that you know, if, if I'm if I see somebody posting something on social media, or one of my students points out to me that hey, you know, ninety percent of the money is going against Washington on this game. Oh, well, then I'm going to be betting on Washington. I'm guaranteeing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love uh, the sharp money. That's uh, that is the very first thing I use when I started betting regularly. Yeah, was figure out where the sharp money is going and just go with it. I remember the first really big bet I placed on anything. It was 2016, Stanford and Washington. And it was an early season game. This is the year Stanford actually made the college football playoff. Um, but it was early in the year. and Stanford, or, or No, wait, the year Washington made the playoff. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and Washington, you know, they were ranked, but they weren't, you know, they weren't right. viewed as that good. They just played another Pac-12 team. and They won, but didn't look rather impressive doing it. And Stanford had a couple of big national TV wins. And it came out, and Washington was a three-point favorite on the on the uh, the line was Washington minus three, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Why on earth is Washington minus three? And I saw, you know, and it was trending. The money was coming in; it was all coming in on Washington. It was all coming in on Washington. Yeah, and I was like, well, and I couldn't believe it. So I was like, okay, what? You know, I'm gonna research this a little bit. Well, I found out that uh, Stanford was missing their top four cornerbacks, and they were gonna be playing practice. They were gonna be playing non-scholarship guys. Mm-hmm. at corner and yeah. Washington at the time had John Ross and Dante Pettis who were future first and second round picks in the NFL. Uh-huh. So I think Washington won 45 to 10 was yep. the final score. <laughs> so after that game, I was like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. The ones that, you know, they're, yeah. these sharp, they're, they're called sharp for a reason. Yep. Uh huh. They're called sharp for a reason. That was like the first big bet I made. Yep. Uh, and so you, you know, like you said, nothing's ever going to always work. But if you bet with the sharps, you're gonna win more than you lose. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good. They're, I agree with you. They're pretty good. And so, for me, it's like, look, 
I love football outsiders. You know, when I have a time in my life to really immerse myself and to get into it and, and there are times in my life in my life when I can. And it's mm-hmm. awesome. I love it. I'm like, I can, I got, feel like I can, um, I have an intuition about games that is like more accurate than other people. And I, mm-hmm. it feels awesome. But most of the time, like, in, if you just take anybody's life, you just can't stay in that zone so much. So you right. have to figure out where you're going to lean back on over a longer period of time. And yeah. so I try to go to information markets and I try to go to, um, to for uh, like like uh, football outsiders or 538 or these type of websites yeah i um yeah i'm a young single 25 year old guy so uh-huh. my time commitments definitely aren't yes. as much as yours and my you know you're a college professor who anyone who knows teaching or anything like that they know that takes a, it's more than just the class you teach yeah uh, it sounds like in your the way you have your students creating different models and doing different. I wish I could take your classes. Like, oh, it's uh, a lot of fun. With, I mean, I had the best job in the world. It's so great that I can sit around and talk about, well, our sports analytics is a lot of fun because we, we do build models and we play around with it and we try to think about it and we read a lot about it. And that's like a great job, you know, to have. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah. No, that sounds like a lot of fun. But like you said, come, you know, you got to put your time into it and you do. Yes. So, but your, so your time commitment, you know, I can afford to look at football outsiders wasting my time for an hour <laughs> just because I have nothing better to do. Yeah. Um, but if I had a wife and two kids, then yeah. it'd, probably be, it'd probably be a little bit different. Yeah. But, uh, George, I really appreciate you doing this, man. This is a lot of fun, you know, diving oh, sure. into it. I think we're going to, I think we're going to do it again. You know, NBA season is about to, is, you know, starting here pretty yeah. soon, which I can't, it feels like it ended like a week ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were just, they were just in the bubble and now, you know, who knows what the NBA is doing. And that's, so, that's going to be a big question. Uh, like the teams that went deep into the playoffs, they're have a significant, a significantly less rest time than the rest of the team. So is that going to so, play a factor in it? I don't know, you know? So, uh, so I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but I'm going to ask it. And if you yes. don't feel like you can really answer it, then that's fine. Um, with the NBA, because we had the, pl- you know, the playoffs, which is ultimately what matters and the end of the regular season played in the bubble, but we had, you know, about 70%, I think it was of the regular season played under normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, when projecting into this year, what weight do you put into what you saw in the bubble Versus, and you know it's like, gosh, that was such an unprecedented yeah. time and circumstance. What weight do you put into that? Like the what happened in the bubble versus, you know, what happened, you know, just in the normal circumstances of the NBA season. If you're looking at the playoffs, maybe looking back to the 2019 playoffs when it was a, you know, fairly normal circumstances. Although even in 2019, LeBron wasn't in the playoffs, so how normal was that? Yeah. Um, well, versus think, the 2020 think- playoffs. I think that's been a trend that's been going on for a little while, which is home court advantage is diminishing. Um, they actually, I don't know if you know, heard about this, but it's kind of interesting. They, they used to attribute it to Tinder. They call it a Tinder effect. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, that it like, all right, so what's happening now? We have the extreme where like home court advantage is like disappearing completely Right. And so uh-huh. I don't know, like I said, we've got to look back on the numbers and see what the numbers actually yeah. say. But, um, you know, home court advantage was very significant in the past. 
Now it's less significant. Yeah. There are ways to kind of tease out jet lag and when jet lag is going to impact certain teams and when it does. Mm. And um, now, I don't know, maybe it's completely gone. That, To me, yeah. who knows how it's all going to be written up. But that's kind of the trend that's in the back of my mind. Yeah. I remember reading the article, and this must have been like five years ago, yeah. Uh, when it came out, it was called, it was the tenderization of the NBA. And ba- the gist of the article was that players now could g- find a girl on their phone versus having to go out to the club and do it. So it makes them fresher for yeah, to get a the game sleep. the next Imagine night. <laughs> yeah. Good night's sleep makes you uh, play better basketball. Yep. <laughs> uh, who who would have thought a good night's sleep helped you do anything? I know, right? <laughs> no, so I remember, I remember maybe that does have something to do with it, but I think. You know, I I kind of attributed it to where, you know, just the level, the home and away in the NBA, like why it's not mattering as much. It's because the good teams are good and the the teams that aren't good just aren't good. Um, That's the way it's always been. Right. And and you're right because I'm young and I'm younger than you. You know, my because, you know, when I was grow when I was, you know, an adolescent, uh, when I was growing up watching the NBA playoffs and I played basketball for a year in college, I've been a basketball junk as much as I love football. Uh-huh. I'm like, I'm an absolute basketball junkie. Um, and I remember like the Western conference, I was a Spurs fan growing up and the Western conference, you know, Spurs would be the one seed at 58 and 24 and the eight seed would be uh, 51 and 31. Yeah. That's, so that's one of the things that we look at in sports economics, a uh, competitive balance. And basically on a season-wide basis, the good NBA teams are much better um, than the bad teams, significantly. Right. And and that probably has to do with the fact that, you know, only one person can have the ball at a time. There's only five right. players. So, so much of a higher significant – a more significant chunk of action is being right. handled by the superstars. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, you have people that are tanking for the, for the number yeah. one pick in the draft. Yeah, I think also in the NBA, I mean, I, the three best players really in my lifetime of watching basketball are LeBron, Tim Duncan, and Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. And in basketball, when you have that generational player, and you got guys like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry now who are outstanding, mm-hmm. that one player can control so much of the game. Yeah. So that one player can impact so much versus in football, like I said, Tom Brady and Russell Wilson, those are my guys. And those guys are outstanding. They are amazing they don't play corner though. They don't rush right. the passer. Yep. You know, they can't, you know, they can't play defense. They can't catch their own passes. And we're seeing um, what Carson Wentz is trying to do with no offensive line. Right. I mean, they can't block, you know, right. and Deshaun Watson, you know, he, down here in Texas got a taste of that. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, the last couple of the last, you know, basically his whole career in Houston, uh, you, you know, as amazing as Deshaun Watson is, he can't block for himself right. uh, versus in basketball. LeBron and Anthony Davis for the Lakers can literally control everything. Mm-hmm. And they're two of probably the top five players in the NBA right now. So yeah, the Lakers won the championship and they're probably going to, you know, if I, if I'm putting money down on it, I wouldn't put money down on, on anyone, but the Lakers won a championship this year because they have two top five players in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, I, I have um, my heart set on the Sixers. Man, James Harden might be, there's rumors that James Harden going out there yeah, to Philly. Something, huh? That that hey Daryl Morey's out there. He's a big uh, he's a big analytics yes, guy. Yes, he is, uh, yes, sir. We're gonna ha- oh man, I could do we could I could do you know two more hours on NBA <laughs> analytics stuff, but 
you have a wife and two kids I and other do. stuff. <laughs> so we're we're gonna cut it off here. George, okay. thank you so much for coming on to the uh, for coming on to the show. Anything for Russ. Anything for Russ. Yeah, shout out to Russell on this one. As much as we dog him on the show, he came through today. George, thank you so much, and you have a great weekend. Gabe, anytime. You just text me if you ever need me in the future. All right, will do. All right, take care. You do the same.